Hi, and welcome to Matt Holman Talks Mental Health, the podcast where I have the opportunity to sit down and chat to amazing humans about their journeys with mental health. For this series, I'm talking about neurodiversity, and I'm very happy to introduce Andy Reddy to the conversation. Welcome, Andy. Hiya. Hiya. Lovely to see you. Um, So, Andy, I'm going to throw it over to you. Let you tell us a bit of a story about your journey with neurodiversity and what that means to you. So over to you, sir. Um, so I'm going to talk about myself. Um, I, I, I thought before we started, do I talk about my son who's autistic or, my, or myself who's dyslexic? Yeah. But actually, I thought this would be a great opportunity to talk about me. Um, because I think with often with dyslexia, you hear a lot of people saying, oh, I'm, I'm dyslexic, I've got a bit of dyslexia. Or um, people don't think that it necessarily affects people that negatively. And so actually, I want to sort of talk about my journey, um, because I think it's really important for people to hear. So I was lucky, I was diagnosed at age four uh, or five. um, And um, so you had the support, had really supportive parents. And I remember sort of at an early age, actually being quite angry about all why is it that I've got to go and do all these extra English and maths lessons and feeling quite frustrated about about that because I remember my brother would go and play um, sport and on Saturday I would have to go up, get up and go around the corner and have these extra English lessons. And so I sort of thought, well, you know, that would be life. You would have extra English lessons and and then you'd basically be all sorted. And I think also what often people think with dyslexia is, they think of just the reading and writing and they don't actually look at the other impacts of it. Um, and for a long time, I didn't really understand that. So I sort of had, I found school really difficult. Um, I basically was a naughty child and really, I think the teachers who knew and understood me were really supportive mm-hmm. and really sort of helped. And the ones who didn't understand me then I would be thrown out of lessons and I'd get in trouble and I'd have detentions. And it sort of left me as quite an angry sort of teenager, really. Um, And I ended up doing uh, GCSE math seven, uh, sorry, GCSE English seven times. So yeah, I kept failing it and I kept failing it. And, um, but I've always been quite resilient. I I felt like I had to become resilient otherwise almost my neurodiversity would get on the better of me that's sort of how I felt um so I I took it seven times and I did I sort of scraped through my GCSEs and I got C's um and was it six C's and one B and one D um but then obviously did the English lots of times and then I sort of it stepped up to A levels and I just was not ready mentally, wasn't mm. capable, ready. And I I failed them in spectacular form. So oh. I sort of ended up with two ends of the knee first time round. And, um, and I just thought throughout school, <laughs> because of always having to be in bottom sets and always having to do it, I left education feeling just stupid. I was like, oh, I'm not... I'm not very intelligent, and that's that's yeah. how it made me feel. Um, but I remember I went out to, I failed these A-levels, and I went out to my brother's university, and I was like, oh, and I had a really nice time, and and I was like, oh, I was like, and I remember sitting there, and he was at Exeter University, which is a very nice university, and I remember sitting there thinking, 
I, I'm sure I can do this if I really try. Yeah. I don't, but I don't know. So then I ended up going back and I, I decided that the one thing that I did to manage myself when I was younger was that I would play sport. So mm -hmm. I've always been into sport, always played sport, yeah. played variety of different sport. And so I realised in time that actually sport helped me manage myself and my own mental health throughout my life. Yeah. Um, so I basically was like, right, I want to do a sports science degree because it's the one thing that I knew that I could escape. It was my escapism tool. I wouldn't have to read or write. I could right. go and do sport. I wouldn't be judged on anything else. And I would be able to be normal. <laughs> Is that joke yeah. like, I know what you mean, yeah. 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 So I could go and play, you know, and, and most sports I so I could play at, at a decent level and get in school teams and stuff like that. So I did a sports science degree. And again, didn't help get help from university. And I don't necessarily blame the universities then. I just still think the world was very naive. Like mm. now universities are doing so much more. I got sort of a computer at a time and I got some extra time. But actually what I needed was somebody to really work with me on understanding me and understanding how I was affected by, by my dyslexia. Yeah. So, you know, I think the thing I find frustrating with dyslexia is a lot of people say, oh, I'm dyslexic and things like that. But I know, for example, if I wrote a sentence and it had seven words in it, I would I would probably out of those seven words, I'd probably say, um, spell two or three the wrong way around the first time. Then I'd have to restructure the sentence. Um, so I know my dyslexia has has affected me quite severely over sort of yeah. my life. Um, so then I sort of left university. I did university. I got a 2-2, but again, was a bit disappointed with that because I was like, right. oh, I'm capable. And that still made me feel like I wasn't very bright. I wasn't very intelligent. And so I then sort of tried a variety of different jobs and then I ended up in, in education. Um, I did that classic thing where um my mum was saying go and be a PE teacher like it's got all the attributes you don't have to do lots of reading and writing and of course I did the opposite saying no I'm not gonna do that mum <laughs> like you do um and so I went into education and I was really good in education I was a really good teacher um I absolutely like loved it um and the impact I could make for other people was brilliant and then I sort of started getting to the point in education where I was getting promoted up and so, um, and then I sort of, my first real sort of taste of, oh, actually my um, dyslexia is now in, impacting me in work was that, was when I started to apply for jobs. So I started to apply for jobs and then I would realise that sometimes I'd have spelling mistakes on, right. on bits and not, or some of my language wasn't. And with somebody with dyslexia, you really need to have somebody who's a champion who will look at your stuff and, okay. and really understand you. And so for a while, I didn't really have that. My mum would do it. But again, then you don't really want to ask your mum. And then I, I went through sort of a series of interviews where I really felt the discrimination um, and I still feel the discrimination. And that, you know, I remember going to job interviews where I would say that I'd have dyslexia and um, I had to do PowerPoints, and, uh, not PowerPoints, to um, uh, do a presentation and I was asked to write. And I told them I got dyslexia, I was picked up with spelling mistakes. Um, I got, um, I went to another interview where 
um, somebody, they, they had all the disability, so that you, to a minute, and the first thing they did was make me do a writing task. So I, I've had, yeah. throughout my career, had lots of times, and and I have a, I have a, like, by the way interviews are done, I have got sort of a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, which is another conversation. Right, yeah. Um, but I, so, but I sort of end up getting a job where I met my wife, who's amazing. Right. And I, I was conscious of my CV because I was like, okay, I've got, you know, I haven't got the CV like everyone else. It's a scraped through CV. And even the option choices I've made in life have felt like, oh, I had to do sports science because I wasn't going to get the A-levels to do that. So I always felt like my um, dyslexia has almost sort of made me go in a certain path because of mm. the qualifications I've ended up getting. Yeah, the door shut. The doors have been shut to me, so I've always felt like it's sort of quite a difficult path mm. that I've run in, yep. in that sense because it's not necessarily managed by me. And I, what I didn't say at the start was that what I always really wanted to be was a doctor, right. but I learned learned from an early age that I just wasn't going to get through the exams because yeah, there's not enough to support people with neurodiversity when it comes to that. So yeah. I met my wife. And then um, she like really inspired me to end up do further qualifications. And since then, um, so I've got two master's degrees, well, they're distinction level. And what that really showed to me was that actually, if I'm not under this false Titan constraint uh, and that, and I've got my own time and I can plan that actually I'm a bright guy, but I need, yeah that time to really structure and yeah. and organize myself if I want to do that. So you know I ended up doing some of my master's degrees and 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 that was sort of um great. And then I sort of got into the stage where I was getting to going into leadership positions in schools. And that's where then I really sort of felt that discrimination of there isn't really enough support out there. And that's also why I was, I was like, I'd like to come and talk on this because yeah. I, I sort of got to the senior leader position. And the problem is in, in education, there just isn't the money, which is nobody's fault that, well, it's the government thing, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. Um, so schools themselves are trying to do what they can, but what, what that means with no money and no finances is that there just isn't the support staff. Um, and so you would get, I would get millions of emails through and um, I would have lots of work put on me. And I remember having a conversation with my dad who was, was a charter surveyor and he owned his own business when he was, when he worked. And he said, Oh, why don't you just get an admin person? And I said, well, I said, that's <laughs> all just come from yeah. that. You know, oh, yeah, that great idea. Yeah. Um, so, um, and then it got to the point where I, I was working so hard that I would get to the holidays and the reading and writing, because it's an impairment. Um, and, you know, if you think that I'm saying the sentence, I have to recheck every sentence and rewrite it. A piece of work for you where you might do, I don't know, imagine if you write 300 words and you're typing for a blog or whatever, yeah. you know, that's going to probably take me double time. Mm. Um, and then on top of that, if I'm then sending something out, I've got to be conscious that 
it's saying the right thing because often I write stuff and it's not saying what actually I'm thinking in my head. So I would end up spending lots of time just rechecking, rechecking, and what that in effect does for somebody with dyslexia is it burns them out Mm. and it, and it, um, and actually what you end up doing is you spending all the, all your time on things which are the negative thing about you, which then impacts on your mental health. Does that make sense? So, yeah, um, you know, like I actually find the world now where all the time we're sending WhatsApps and it's all it's all the time it's writing, writing, writing. Yeah. Actually, or sometimes the phone, I just be like, I just can't contact with people. It's just too tiring. Sure. And so, what ended up being to me in education was that I just got to a point, and I remember sort of saying to my wife, "What am I going to do? Like, I can't see myself doing this." for another 10 you know to the end of my career and she's she's in education still now um as a senior leader um but she can manage it because she doesn't have the same impairment so i then had to make a decision and it was like what do i do like i've spent all this time and i'm good in education but i just can't cope in education if i do i'm just going to end up getting really mentally ill and I'm not going to be able to cope. And I um, I actually went and sort of got support and things like that, but it still, it came to a point where I didn't feel the world could support me right now in that sort of setting. And I'm sure there's lots of other people to it. So I then was like, right, I want to look at alternatives in education. So just see if it's mm. mainstream education, that is, or if it's education as a whole. So I then ended up going and um, running a school in a mental hospital, so in the CAMS for with um, acute um, psychiatric um, hospital, which had 12 to 18-year-old adolescents coming in, um, which unfortunately have had severe mental health problems. Um, And when I was in that setting, you know, I sort of sat in that setting and thought, well, you know, it's so awful what's happening to it. But is there anything that I can do before this point? Because I felt like being in that setting was almost the hospitals could do what they could do, but actually was there anything I could do before that point. And then that's where I was like, right, so I've got dyslexia. I've always really struggled with it. Um, and I, what I haven't said is that I've got a son who's autistic who, again, is something that we we manage as a as a family as well, and so I end up doing my Senko qualification, which is special educational needs coordinator in education. If, if people don't know, yeah. um, so and then got lots of training and and did my masters in psychology, mm-hmm. and I was sort of thinking like, how can I really start to make an impact? How can I support? And to me, I'm really passionate about. I don't want people to have had the set, have the same struggles to me so when I look at Callum um again he's he's autistic rather than dyslexia but there's definitely crossovers in how we think and so for me it's like what I want to make sure that his path has been a lot easier and a lot supported yeah. to me um so that's why so I then started looking into coaching and and supporting um neurodiverse people and and i think now like there's this this movement of neurodiversity which is which has started in the 90s and and there's been a real push 
And for me, the, I'm relevant neurodiversity is the first time ever that I feel like I can really talk about my dyslexia yeah. without feeling judged. Because the problem problem is is the original pathology term of you go to get a diagnosis, you go and get this straight away. Is the terminology is around that you're there's something wrong with you, mm. and and who's to say there's anything wrong with everyone? Because <laughs> For me, like we've created this world, we've created yeah. this, this world that we live in, and then you're saying, "Oh, people don't fit in, or people don't fit in jobs because of their neurodiversity." But actually, we're the only people who create this world. Actually, yeah. you know, for me, like I know that I'm a really good strategic thinker. Yeah. I know that I can really sort of see things sometimes that people can't see, yeah. and you know, if we weren't in this concept of this human world that we had created, we were out still in caveman time actually i might be this great leader who is capturing yeah. these animals that, yeah. but because i'm forced to live in a world where i have to read and write all the time yeah then um that is obviously challenging and so other mm. people must must have these challenges and i think often with dyslexic people you don't see this because they still can fit in mm. to some extent into certain levels of jobs but I still think there must be lots of people like me where they would have got to a stage where either they burn out or they can't cope. And then they're like, what do I do now with my life? And also that's why I feel like I've ended up in this uh, sort of entrepreneur sort of life where I've created my own business. But yeah. part of it is like, I haven't had a choice. If, yeah. if I yeah. don't do that, then I, <laughs> yeah. Um, I could have carried on being unhappy for the rest of my life and then that impacts my family. So it, that's sort of where, but I like, I, I think the big thing is with any neurodiversity is to really start trying to concentrate on the, the positive traits that, that yeah. you have, what you're good at, you know? So I realized one of the reasons why I was like, why coaching was that actually in education, I was always in pastoral, and I was in disadvantages and send and uh, and then obviously um, working in uh, in a, in, um, in sort of a mental hospital is also um, a very pastoral role. Yes. And so for me, it's always been about empathy and looking mm. after other people and trying to support other people. And so I know that's my strength, and that's yeah. why I end up doing what I do. And that's why also for me, any opportunity to discuss things like this, I yeah. think really important and you know and for people to hear different people with different neurodiversity yeah um to actually tell their story and their path yeah mate on it Andy I well I it, it's been incredible to hear sort of the journey you've been on and and the the you know very high hurdles that you've had to jump over in many occasions you know to get to where you are and I'm really pleased to hear that you're in a place where you're you're now almost taking all of that experience and that journey and saying, right, okay, so I need to support others who are, you know, experiencing those challenges. Because no doubt there are lots and lots of people out there, thousands and, you know, hundreds of thousands probably of people who, who just don't know really what's happening or how to get through the adversity that they're experiencing. And, you know, we live in a world that's built for neurotypical people, you know, yeah. so, so, and it's hard when you're not neurotypical that, you know, things are a lot more challenging. Yeah, it's not always noticed and recognised. I think I think for me one of the hardest things that I deal with because every time you read and write, 
imagine every time you read and write, there's a mistake. Yeah. It's that inner monologue of still, you're not good enough. Why yeah. are you not? And even though you know, like yeah. I, I've got so yeah. much experience on understanding mental health and also different neurodiversities. And even though I know that, yeah, you still can't switch that off. You no. still can't. You know, I, I still have regular conversations, and my wife would be like, "Oh, you're so inspiring!" Like, right. like what you're doing, like how far you've come. But my, still, my inner monologue is, "Oh yeah, but I'm not doing good enough, or I need to have more clients, or I need to support yeah. more people." And yeah. so, and, and so that's almost a challenge on that fight you have. And I, I don't use the word fight, but sometimes it feels like that yeah but i think i think it's where we're our own worst enemy at times aren't we where yeah. we, we get in inside our own minds and start to challenge everything we're doing and you yeah. know and i i talk about imposter syndrome and things like that you know where you know where i think where i come from and where i am now and and actually i shouldn't feel that way but i do and nobody can change that feeling and nobody can say it's okay you're doing well or which makes yeah. me feel better about myself in that but uh, it's fascinating andy it really is and i and i think you you definitely, you know, showing and telling people your journey helps to connect to you because you there's reasons why you love what you do. There's reasons why you're passionate about your coaching and and no doubt why you when you speak with your wife, she feels inspired by what you're saying because of the genuine thing that's coming from inside that, you know, you can't buy in a book, you know, or read in a book or whatever it is, you know. So it's been incredible, honestly. Uh, we are right at the end. I will give you the floor just for a moment in a second, just to give your final thoughts and com comments if you want to share anything for the end of the recording. Um, but just from me, just a huge thank you. But um, any any final thoughts, Andy? I think the big thing is in a work setting or in whatever setting, actually, our education yep. is that actually yep. people really start to voice what they need. Mm. And that can be the biggest challenge in the world because for yeah. years I would never admit that I've got dyslexia no. and then I would struggle through. But actually more and more people are fighting for what they deserve and that reasonable adjustment that 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 all establishments legally have to make. Yeah. And okay. until that happens, things in society won't really people have to challenge and challenge and then society will change yeah. and, and support those needs and I, I think there's a long way to go but the more voices in the world challenging that the better yep there you go and and we'll, we'll we'll finish on that the more voices in the world challenging that the better and I genuinely I'm fully supportive of that because the only way we're going to learn about what's really going on for people is by having conversations and listening, letting them have a voice and giving us their perspective. So Andy, your perspective has been so valuable. Thank you so much for sharing things I've learned. And I love these because I learned through these uh, conversations as well. Um, and I hope that anybody that is listening also learns something about the journey that you've been on. So, so brilliant stuff. I wish you all the best for the future. Good luck with everything that you're doing. And um, I know we're not too far away geographically, we're literally about five miles from each other, I think. Um, so hopefully catch up with you very, very soon as well. Yeah. Thank you. Take care. Look after yourself.